0: fourteen we 'll be looking at verses fifteen and on i 'm going to read verses fifteen through twenty four in just a second uh, if you haven 't done this before that we 're if you haven 't been here for a few weeks we 're in the middle or getting towards the end of a um, bold faith initiative, and our theme this month is transforming truth. There are devotional guides out there the pastors in the area have written devotions for uh, each chapter of the book of John, you can pick up one of those, and it might help you as you go through this month to connect to what's going on here and elsewhere. Pick up a gospel of John out there on the table as you're going out this way. Just grab one and hand them out. Give them to somebody and say, this is what we're doing in church this month. and like to give this to you. Why don't you read it? If you have a business, I know some people who have businesses, and they just say, can I get a bunch of them? and Stick them in the business where people can pick them up. Go ahead and do that. And wear a bold faith wristband. If you haven't got one yet, get one now. And maybe you have some stories about how you've connected with people over this. Maybe there are other church people who, from the Baptist church or the Nazarene church or the Methodist church who said, oh, you're doing that too. And you had a chance to say, oh, yeah, you're a Christian? Yeah. And maybe it's somebody who's not a follower of Jesus at all who just said, What's that about? Give gave you a chance to talk to them. If you've had one of those encounters over that wristband, I'd love to hear about it. Would you share that with me? Now, we're in John 15. <clears throat> I want to read for us verses 20, 15. We're in John 14. I want to read for us verses 15 through 24. <clears throat> this is Jesus speaking. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father... you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, Why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who doesn't love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. The opening words of our text are, If you love me. For some people, those are hard words to hear because they've heard them before. There might be a woman who is reminded by those words of the night she lost her virginity. If you love me, said the man who didn't love her but was willing to use her. They might evoke anger in someone else whose parent was always saying things like that. If you love me, you'll stop seeing that girl. If you love me, you'll give up this pipe dream and go get a real job. Or if you love me, you'll run to the store and buy me a pack of cigarettes and a bottle of vodka. If you love me, sounds weak at best and manipulative at worst, and we've seen the worst too many times. But it's important for us to realize that there is nothing weak or manipulative in what Jesus is saying. This is not a young Paul McCartney pleading, love, love me, do. You know I love you. It's not Olivia Newton-John whining, if you love me, let me know. If you don't, let me go. Jesus is not begging or whining. He's stating a fact that is so important for us to grasp. This is a fact, and the way the radius of a circle equals its diameter divided by two is a fact. It's a fact like if you step off the roof, you will fall is a fact. We need to learn to love facts. Facts, whether we like them or not, help us know where we stand and how to orient ourselves. The truth is always more than facts, but facts are the handholds that allow us to scale the face of truth. Hiding from the facts or hiding facts from ourselves is a fool's game. When Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands, you will keep my commands, he's not giving advice. He's not making a motivational speech here. He's not asking for love like a jilted suitor. And he's definitely not playing the guilt card like a manipulative parent. He is stating a hard-as-nails fact If you love me, you will keep my commands. That is a transforming truth. If you love Jesus, you will keep his commands. Jesus does not say, if you read the Bible more, you'll keep my commands. He doesn't say, if you go to church more often, you'll keep my commands. He doesn't say, if you fast more, give more, or buckle down and try harder, you'll keep my commands. All those things are good and helpful, but they only possess transforming power if they're undertaken out of love for Jesus. If we're not keeping his commands, it's not because of a personality problem or an intelligence problem or even a lack of effort problem. It's a love problem. Don't blame your spouse or your parents or your boss. They're not preventing you from keeping Jesus' commands. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Of course, that means that you will be able to keep his commands. That's an idea that hasn't even occurred to some people. When you're loving Jesus, you won't say, I can't do that regarding any of his commands. But if you don't love him, you'll find that at certain critical times in your life, you will be utterly incapable of doing what he says. You won't be able to bless your enemy when he or she says bad things about you. You just won't be able to do it. You won't be able to forgive the person who sinned against you. You may want to, but you won't be able And then you'll blame yourself. Oh, I'm just too weak. I I don't go to church enough. I don't read the Bible enough. Or you'll blame your parents. They were too mean or too lenient or too preoccupied. Or you'll blame the other person. But the real problem is that you're not loving Jesus. Get a hold of that truth, and it will transform your life. If you love Jesus, you will keep his commands. The command to bless those who curse you, the command to speak truthfully, to be reconciled, the command not to judge people, to guard against greed, to love each other. You'll actually be able to do these things. Now, right here, we could get off track. When we hear Jesus say, if you love me, we're liable to think he was saying, if you have warm feelings for me. But Jesus was not talking, at least he wasn't talking primarily about a feeling. It's confusing for us because our word love is forced to cover so much ground. The ancient Greeks had four different words to cover the same ground that our one word has to cover. One of those Greek words referred to the passion of lovers eros. Another to the jovial camaraderie of friends. Another to the unbreakable loyalty of family. The word that's used here is none of those, but it encompasses the passion of the first, the affection of the second, and the loyalty of the third. It refers to an unconditional commitment to another person's welfare, to his or her good. Jesus is saying if you are unconditionally committed to me, you will keep my commands and if you're not as he says later you won't now there's more here that we need to understand because you see there's a progression that we mustn't miss that all of this hinges on we love Jesus which results a matter-of-fact in our keeping his commands now there are about 60 such commands that applied broadly to his followers. And the person who loves Jesus will keep those 60-some commands. If he lives in the highlands of Papua New Guinea and has never seen a Bible but loves Jesus, he'll still keep those commands. Love for Jesus does that. It's transformational. Now, that's a fact. But another hard-as-nails fact follows Jesus will, on behalf of the person who loves him, ask God the Father to give that person another counselor, as the NIV has it, or another comforter, as the King James translates, or another strengthener, as the scholar Leon Moore suggests. And we must have the strengthener if we're to have any hope of living an authentic Christian life. Now focus in on that progression. Jesus Loving Jesus leads us to keep his commands. And keeping his commands, or perhaps even trying to keep them, leads the Father to give us the strengthener, whom Jesus describes as the spirit of truth and as the Holy Spirit. He's not the spirit of 76. He's not the spirit of excitement, but the spirit of truth. The presence in our lives of this spirit strengthens us to squarely face facts and live in the light of truth. Now, that's not something everyone experiences. The world, this is verse 17, cannot accept him, the spirit of truth, because it neither sees him nor knows him. Now, that shouldn't come as a surprise to us that the world doesn't see or know the spirit of truth. The world, and when Jesus says that, he's talking about humanity as it endeavors to get along without God. The world lives more comfortably with denial than it ever does with truth. T.S. Eliot was right. Humanity can only bear so much reality. A recent song by popular artist makes that clear. I don't want reality, he sings. Actually, reality stinks. I need you to lie to me. I think that should be the theme song for next year's national political conventions. <laughs> but whose fault is that? See, without the spirit of truth, people can't help but live in denial. A world that's turned away from God will not and cannot receive and cannot even want the truth spirit. But the lover of Jesus will. And it is the presence of that spirit that will further enable him or her to keep Jesus' commands and to know, now this is verse 20, what it means to enter the blessed company of the Trinity. So here's the progression. Progression. Love Jesus and you will do what he commands. Love Jesus and do what he commands, and he will ask the Father to give you the strengthener, the spirit of truth. Love Jesus and do what he commands, and he will ask the Father to give you the strengthener, and then you will know that God the Father is with Jesus, and you are with Jesus, and Jesus is with you. You will get caught up in the life of the Holy and Blessed Trinity. And it will begin a metamorphosis in you. It will transform you into a different kind of person. The person God always intended you to be. That was his plan all along. And it all started with loving Jesus. But no, that's not right. It did not all start with loving Jesus. It started long before you knew Jesus or knew anything about Jesus. It started with God, not with you. With his bold plan to create a free people to pick them up after they'd fallen and redeem them after they sold themselves and die for them after they'd sinned. God's love, the God who is love, came first. He always comes first. His love overflows heaven and cascades to earth. And that's just what Jesus is describing here a cascade. One definition of a cascade goes like this. A process that occurs in successive stages, each of which is dependent on the preceding one and often produces a cumulative effect. In our case, it's a spiritual cascade. Or better yet, it's a cascade of love. Begins with God's love and flows through our love for Jesus. God intended, he always intended, for people to live with him. His plan is that our life should be immersed in his Trinitarian life. That's what being baptized, literally immersed, baptizo to immerse, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit entails. When you're living in the company of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you've found life's sweet spot. When you're living there, you can do things that you would otherwise never be able to do. In the company of the Trinity, God's commands are not burdensome. It's there that everything comes together for us. It's there that we're meant to live. The biblical writers talk about this in other places. For example, the Apostle Paul writes of a world or a state of being in which All things are yours. And then he goes on to list them. They're all yours. People, the world, life, death, the present, the future. They're all yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. He's describing what life is like, what we're like when we live in that presence of the Trinity. And when we're in that place, we will know that there is one God and Father of all who is overall and through all and in all that will not be a matter of theological reasoning but of immediate personal experience see God always planned for little old you to get caught up into his unending life now we want God to get caught up in our lives in our little passions and intrigues and petty ambitions, but he wants us to get caught up in his glorious life, his joy, his creativity, and most of all, in his love. So let me restate this transforming truth. If you love Jesus, you will keep his commands, and that will have a cascade effect that will transform you. Now, I restate that because Jesus stated it not once, not two or three times, but four times in a matter of minutes. He obviously thought that this was of the utmost importance. Look at verse 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. Does that sound familiar? Look at verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. And as if that were not enough, look at verse 24, where you find it stated negatively. He who does not love me will not keep my word. I can't overemphasize the point. Jesus is not pleading for you to love him. He's not whining or applying guilt. He's just stating a fact. Love me and you will keep my commands. You will be able to do it and you will do it. But if you don't love me, You will not keep my word. You will not do it, and you won't be able to do it. Now, the result of loving him and keeping his commands is presented in different and exciting ways. In verse 20, Jesus says, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. That knowledge will change your life, trample your fears, and fuel your hopes. In verse 21, he puts it another way. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and will show myself to him. Here is the principal cure for doubt. We think we can remove doubt by reason alone, so we try to think our way out of our doubts. But they just keep coming back. The real cure for doubt is love and obedience in response to our love and obedience, Jesus shows himself to us. The way a river shows itself to the surrounding countryside in a flood, and our doubts are washed away. Verse 23 expresses that same result in yet another way. Judas, not the traitor from Cariath, that is not Judas Iscariot, but the other Judas who we know also as Thaddeus, is puzzled. He says, in effect, Lord, I thought the whole goal was to show yourself to the world. Isn't that what we've been working for all this time? But now you're saying that you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world. Why is that? I mean, we've already seen you. It's the world that needs to see you. In response, Jesus says something like this. I can't show myself to people who don't obey my teaching. It's not that I don't want to, it's that they can't see me. They can't know or receive the Spirit, and they can't see me. The only way people can see me is by obeying me. Let's not miss that. There are many people who go to church who repeat the creeds, who apply theological labels to themselves and unashamedly call themselves Christians who wouldn't be able to see Jesus if he sat down in the chair next to them. Let me illustrate that. Right now, this building is being bombarded with EM waves that are carrying all kinds of signals, all kinds of signals. Bonanza is probably playing in this room right now and little Joe is drawing his gun on the bad guy. Johnny Cash's voice might be rolling through this room like waves of the sea. And this room could be, at this moment, a boxing ring for the political contenders who do battle every Sunday morning on the talk shows. But we're not seeing or hearing any of it. Not because it's not here, it is. But because we don't have the equipment to receive it. Or if we do, because it's not turned on. It better not be turned on. (laughs) In the same way, Jesus doesn't appear or become visible. That's what the surprising choice of verbs in verse 21 means. He doesn't become visible to people who do not obey him, who do not have the spirit of truth. They don't have the equipment to see him. You see, the Lord Jesus can be present in a way that would wash away our doubts, give us unstoppable courage and overflowing joy, but we will not know it. Apart from loving and obeying his commands, there's no substitute for that. Having right theology is awfully important, but it's not a replacement for doing what Jesus says. Reading the Bible has been the most helpful practice of my life, and I do it almost every day I'm alive. But the Bible is no substitute for doing what Jesus says. Neither is going to church, or praying, or reading Christian books, or learning apologetic arguments, or going off to seminary. As the old song says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. That's just a fact. I want us to take this seriously. Jesus thought it so important that he said it four times in a matter of minutes. This is our transforming truth. Love Jesus and you will obey his commands and your life will be wonderfully transformed as a result. Now, if you're in the habit of facing facts, you may be thinking, then I'm out of luck. Because I know that my love for Jesus is pretty shallow. If that's what you're thinking, you should know that Jesus hears your thoughts. He heard you think that. And he loved hearing it. He loves it when people get real, when they face facts. He knows there is no other way for us to be with him. He will be with us in trouble and in hardship and in persecution and in famine and nakedness and danger. He'll be with us in life and in death, but he will not be with us in denial. If we choose to deny the truth, then we need to go it alone. But if we will face the truth, even the painful truth that our love for him is just pitifully weak and selfish, then he will stand with us. Maybe you made a decision for Jesus a long time ago. But it's been a pretty loveless relationship. You just need to know that's not what he wants. It's not what you want. It came out recently that India's 64-year-old prime minister was married as a teenager in an arranged marriage. And has remained married, but he left shortly after the wedding, and he and his wife have lived separately ever since. He went his way and and left her to live her life without him. Maybe that's not altogether unlike your relationship with Jesus. You officially became his at some point, but as far as sharing your life with him, it just hasn't happened. Prime Minister Mahdi's wife recently told an interviewer that if her husband were to call her, she would go to him. But she made it clear that she wouldn't push herself on him. Similarly, Jesus will not push himself on you. But if you call, he will come. But what are you going to do if you don't love him? Well, then you can get to know him. As the old Phil Spector song goes, to know him is to love him. That has never been truer of anyone than it is of Jesus. Get to know him. How can you do that? Well, first, by asking him for the opportunity. See, it's not all up to you. He will help you get to know him. Say, Jesus, I would like to know you better, and then see what happens. Get to know his story. Sometimes when I meet someone new, I say something like, I would love to hear your story. I get to know them by getting to know their story, where they grew up, what their family was like, why they got into the career they're in, what they love to do. Well, you can get to know Jesus in the same way, by getting to know his story. So pick up your Bible. Start reading Jesus' story. There are four accounts of it in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read one of them. Say, Luke. And each time you sit down to read, ask Jesus to tell you his story. And then listen. And then read other people's stories who've known Jesus. From St. Peter all the way to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. From St. Paul to Cory ten Boom or to Billy Graham. Listen to how Jesus' closest friends tell his story. Get to know him. But the fastest way to get to know someone is to trust something important to them. Try trusting your family to Jesus. Your job. Your finances. I've seen that change people's lives. And they finally said, okay, God's shaking in their boots. I'm going to trust my finances to you. Trust him as far as you're able at the present time. That will help you trust him further in the future. Trust his guidance and follow it. Trust his death to reconcile you to God. Trust and love are closely linked. So dare to trust him. So we want to love Jesus, right? Everything kind of flows out of that. The thing that most powerfully evokes love is love. Love attracts love. And what will help you love Jesus more than anything else is opening yourself to his love for you. So think about his love. Go over it again and again. If your heart is cold, take it out into the sunshine of his love and watch it get warm. And guess where the son of his love rises? Right over Calvary. And it's there that you will find your love for him kindled. Look at the cross and you will see what kind of person he is. Your heart will cry, "This is God in his holy place. This is God clothed in love and grace." He took our flesh so that he could take our sins in his own body. He died for love of us. This is love. Not that we love God. But that he loved us. And sent his son in atoning sacrifice for our sins. Don't focus on your love for him. How much do I love him now? Focus on his love for you. When a person looks at Jesus on the cross... And sees, and this is a work of the Holy Spirit, and sees from his hands, his side, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. That's when he or she says, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That's our transforming truth. Love Jesus, and you will keep his commands. And that will have a cascade effect that will powerfully transform your life. I said earlier that Jesus is not insisting on our love, like a young Paul McCartney, pleading love, love me do. Nevertheless, if we love him, we will do. We will do what he commands. Let's pray. God, you love your son so much. We love your sin, your son, so poorly. but we're not going to look at our love for him, but at your love for him and at his love for us. Stir in our hearts. Make us people who love you and love your son with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then we'll live in the place where all things are ours. People in the world and life and death and the present and the future. Finish your work in us. For Jesus' sake. When Shane's preaching, so many songs go through my mind. We should have done that. We should have done this. But we're going to stand and sing Spirit of God descend upon my heart. And make it your prayer.